On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be joined by Professor Byron Sharp. It's 12 years since his seminal book, How Brands Grow, was written, so we'll talk about how it became so popular and whether the findings are still as relevant today as they were when he wrote it. So join me as I talk to Byron Sharp only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. So, as I said in the intro, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Byron Sharp from the Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Um, yeah, we've been trying to get him for a while, so delighted that he's here and taking the time out of his his busy schedule. So, uh, good good evening where where you are, Byron, and it's it's morning time for us. So, good evening and thanks a million for joining us. So, um, we're going to crack on. Um, as I know, you're a busy man and have a lot to get through. Right, let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, it's well, I think it's twelve years since How Brands Grow, since when you wrote that. Um, it was mm-hmm. it was one of those books that just you know it captured the imagination, um, and it really like as I was as I was saying, clients, everyone kind, everyone had a copy of it. Uh, everyone was talking about it. Like when you wrote it, did you think it was going to create that kind of impact in the marketing community? No, I I, I mean. <laughs> We, it was our Ehrenberg Bass Institute has advisory boards, and it was the advisory board members who asked us to write the book. And uh, it was uh, the purpose of the book was was so that CMOs who were trying to affect change in the organisation could give something to their CEO and say, you know, this time at least finally, you know, there's some there's some science behind it. So that hence it had to be hardback and have a decent publisher like Oxford University Press, but. Uh, no, I never thought it would sell so well. Uh, you, no offence, stocks being really suppressed, but you would never choose them as a publisher if you wanted to sell a book. You know, no, <laughs> they, they don't, you know, they, they don't even have a sales force. Um, but yeah, I mean, it did, uh, and uh, I always thought it would be around for a long time. I thought it would be. I mean, people, Reason Trout's books are still around, right? Yeah, yeah. So I thought this will, you know, people will be reading this in fifty years' time, but. Uh, I'm very pleased. It had a big impact. Yes. No, it it certainly did. It certainly did. And and as I said, for people in in advertising practitioners and media people particularly, I think um, we were going into meetings being told everything we were doing wrong. So um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was it certainly had an impact. Um, and I I think as well, like I mean, it do, it feels like it feels like longer, but then again, it doesn't feel like that long. So kind of um, you know, it's it's fresh in my consciousness. So um, and I I think the book did really did a great service to marketing because. Media was was in dangerously going too far. Like you know, when I started media, and I'm in media a long time, it was about reach, and it was about kind of reach as many people as you can. And and then I think media got in, and technology got into this place where uh, I always use the example: media agencies were priding themselves on how few people they could reach, how how many people they could exclude from something or they could avoid. Um, so then, what happens is, and then it happens all the time in the world. So. Your your book did a great service to marketing because it kind of dispelled a lot of those myths. But then what tends to happen is, you know, arguably there's an overcorrection. So we want things to be binary um, to say that, okay, no, it's not about segments. It's not about kind of really narrow target audience. It's about going broad, going going as, you know, going as, as widely as you can. So, but you can do both, obviously. And I think that's... That's that's one of the that's one of the problems. I think that the world we live in today, we, we want things to be binary and it's it, there's a lot of... Um, no, my point is right and your point is wrong. But I, I think what happened is when you overcorrected that, I think 
some people, I found certainly in my experience, some people took what you were saying quite literally or actually not took it literally, misinterpreted some of the things you were saying because, you know, the idea that segmentation so, isn't... So you think there huh? must have been a lot of people didn't didn't actually read the book. I think that's what happened. I think people kind of skimmed through it because I was, I was getting things thrown at me like, no, you don't. I mean, there's a, it was punchy, target the market, not target market. So the idea that people were saying, no, there's no segmentation is useless. But that, that wasn't what you meant. You were never saying that segmentation is not useful. No, it doesn't say that at all. Uh, and sophisticated mass targeting, uh, yeah, mass marketing. Um, look, I, I mean, I think, I think Mark Ritson would quite honestly say even he had difficulty understanding it, first of all. So maybe that's mm. my problem in writing it. Uh, and you know, and eventually he he did and realised, oh right, it means reaching everyone. But you don't have, you know, obviously a global corporation. You know, you have some of your advertising is in Russian and some of it's in, you know, French and yeah. German. You know, you make these things, in, but you do it to increase reach, and that that's the fundamental difference. When people talk, when textbooks talk, targeting. Uh, sometimes it's about. Sometimes it's about I'm going to target this group because my existing marketing mix isn't reaching them very well, just mm-hmm. uh, expanding your reach. And sometimes it's targeting of like, no, we only want to, we only want, you know, we only want to sell to, you know, our fashion store only wants to sell to good-looking young women. You know, yeah, and that's excluding, and 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 that's the opposite. That that's that's what we say. To, that's when targeting goes wrong, and. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it is a it is a I think it's a very shameful thing that that you have major companies with very clever marketers like Coca Cola, who saw in their own data that like half half the buyers of Diet Coke were men. Yeah. You know, but still they're like, yeah, but still the marketing plan says you know women, so we'll brief the media agency along those lines. Like, yeah, I mean, it's incredibly theory driven rather than evidence. Yeah, no, no, it's a great point. I think that that came came um, through quite a lot. Like a lot of things, just logical. Let me come. There's common sense, and when we'll touch on some of those in a minute, <laughs> were, you, were you surprised that everything science is always common sense afterwards? But yeah, but, scientific yeah. are phenomenally <laughs> weird when you first put them up. Yeah, true. But when you look back at it, like it was just quite compelling. In in, in you know some of the revelations, I call them revelations. Look back at them now, and you go, kind of seems obvious in hindsight. I guess that's why why it was such good work. But were you surprised that? And I, I know this is the world in which we live. When Can you I come out with a point of view, hmm? sorry. Can I give you an example? Yeah. Like probably the least controversial thing that we presented to the world was that branding was about looking like you and you needed to research and use your distinctive assets to do that, right? I mean, least controversial in the sense that marketers went, yeah, 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 absolutely, that's important. And you even have people now saying, oh, yeah, I've been saying that for years. And I'm like, yeah. okay, can you give me an example of where you said that? Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. And where did you write that? And we're, No. And so I've, I've just got a research assistant or a review of all marketing textbooks. And the best you have is, is statements like, uh, you know, brands use colors and logos. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that, yeah. That was, uh, so marketers went, yeah, yeah, we know we do that. But there's no, there was no measurement. Mm-hmm. There was no discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very easy to forget and go, yeah, that's common sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. We all knew that. Yeah. Well, it's common sense no, now. It's common sense now, against because because the work's been around for twelve years, and I, I think a lot of people feel that you know 
Oh yeah, no, I maybe they they agreed with it, and then they think, oh no, I always agreed with that. Were you surprised that the the anti the anti um, Byron Sharp commentary that came out? I know it's the world in which we live; you'll always get that. But were you surprised that it seems like when anyone writes anything, or there's there's a there's an industry in refuting that? Were you surprised at some of the? Yeah, how, how did you feel on trial ever about having to defend any of your work, or did you just get fed up, or or did you take it as a backhanded compliment? No, there's, well, there's been hardly any criticism, really. I mean, really. I mean, it took, I was very surprised, actually, particularly in the academic community, because it's very threatening to some, um, I did have one senior academic say, well, wait on, wait on, what you're saying is, what you're saying is counter to, like, the last 10 years yeah. in all the top journals that we've been focusing on, retention and customer satisfaction. Are you saying that the very best journals are best, like, you know, ignoring, going, yeah, I am. Yeah, and so I was really expecting some pushback, but uh, not really. And only recently, you've had this sort of lame type criticism, which comes from uh, it's the sort of criticism of a I'm going to say something negative about how brands grow. Look at me, look at me, look yeah. at me. Yeah, yeah, you get a lot uh, of that. You know, the objective is to say, look, I'm I'm clever, I'm clever, and and I look at that stuff and go, well, that's a bit of a compliment, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I I'd love it if someone could come up with something substantive that that uh well love it no i mean but it'd be it'd be very interesting to know you know if there's something that you're really wrong about i think the the luxury people are probably the best in saying yeah but wait on isn't isn't they put up a reasonable hypothesis but you know isn't luxury about being exclusive and you don't want to be seen to be selling to everyone and so we went okay that that is that's potentially plausible we'll go mm. we'll go investigate of course they were right they turned out to be wrong but that was worth investigating um, the only other, the only other lame, and it's a bit lame, because uh, one of the big market research companies, who actually we based, we used their data first of all, uh, uh, that showed that perceived differentiations are really low, and uh, they went off and looked in their other big data set and went, oh god, they are right. Okay, mm. then they got their statisticians to go through and like look for. I said, so now they say things like, um, no, but brands that are a bit more differentiated get a price premium. And the implication being, go to your ad agency, create an ad that somehow differentiates your product, and then people will pay more. Uh, we're like, no, our data showed there are brands that are more expensive. They're called the premium brands. Mm. They get slightly higher perceived differentiation scores because people know they're the premium brand. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and that, you know, I mean, that's just bloody obvious. And you haven't found anything that we haven't found. And your idea that you can go to your ad agency and so you're Toyota Corolla and you can go and tell them, oh, gee, look, if we could only get the differentiation score Ferrari, we'd be able to sell for mm. more. So come on, ad agency, do that. Mm. You know, it's yeah. just not possible. It's caused by advertising. It is not caused by advertising. <sighs> no, I, you know, I, I, we, we can sometimes overestimate the impact of advertising it, it can do a lot but we can overestimate it um, like that, and the, a lot of a lot of the logic is very compelling so this is one of those things that I meant is obvious in hindsight well, it's apparent, seemingly obvious in hindsight like heavy heavy users of a brand there's very few of them even if you have a few of them they have they consume so much of that brand there's very little headroom for growth so if you want to grow it's all about penetration go for light users right so um you know that that was something which which uh, I, I think a lot of people had missed before. But yeah, when when clients undertake segmentation to try and understand their customers, they tend to focus on the the well medium to heavy users to get a 
a profile of their users. Do you think that's wrong? Even because they're not going to target those in the end. So you know, do you think well, they're not going to not target heavy users? They'll target everybody. But do you think it's wrong to base your segmentation on on heavy current consumers at the moment? If if there's just not many of them, they're never going to help you grow. Um, yeah, it is, yes, it is wrong, and it is surprising because I think we probably, I mean, we probably reasonably thought that we had a Pareto type distribution. And 80% of our sales came from the top 20%. So they were terribly important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turned out to be wrong. So, yeah, it is it is not common sense. I think it is surprising. Uh, probably the only common sense thing, and which I, I do find I, uh, this does resonate with audiences, you, you know, you say to people, uh, do you work for a big brand? And you, you, there's always some people who work for big brands. They say, right, so category growth is pretty important to you, isn't it? They're like, oh, yes, I want category growth. Right. So how do categories grow? Uh, and then, you know, everyone, it dawns on everyone. Um, when new people start using the category. Right. Yeah. So you've got to target people who don't even buy the category yet. Mm. Uh, yeah. Unless you don't want to grow. Unless you don't want to grow the category. And, and then it becomes, yeah, common sense. But it's very anti-ROI and things, isn't it? Well, I'm going to target people who aren't even buying the category. Well, yeah. if you want category growth, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it just it just makes so. It's hard to argue with it even and even without getting into, you know, all the data. It's just hard to argue with it because it just makes so much common sense. When you think about, because um, I know luxury brands are slightly different considered purchase, but when you think about CPG brands or or even utilities, a category, like I'm still amazed. I sit in a lot of meetings where, um, whether they believe it or not, a, a lot of clients genuinely think that their product is 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 completely different, um, and that there's a there is some loyalty in there and brand preference, which there could be a little bit of brand preference. But are we kind of fooling ourselves and thinking that there are groups of people that love our brand and will will well you know stay relatively loyal to it? Do you think that exists in CPG brands much? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a big wide world and it's a weird place. There are always a few weird people. Um, yeah. Every brand has a few who love them, but not much. Yeah, I saw the other day a senior marketer who said they were partnering with some big media agency to, to produce delight for their customers. And uh, I thought, oh, oh, you know, they sold something like, um, you know, cleaning products or something, right. you know, something really toothpaste or something yeah, like this, yeah. you know, and I'm, uh, delight is a bit slightly like, overstretching. Yeah. Jeez, you know, the big brands of the world are big because people um, know them and they're mentally and physically available. They find them very acceptable and uh, they're able to keep buying them and get on with their lives. Um, yeah. You know, was it the biggest selling car in the world by far? Like, oh, was biggest success ever is the Toyota Corolla, isn't it? Mm. Um, uh, Toyota Corolla. You know, no offense to Toyota, brilliantly run company, whatever. It was a very boring car, right? Yeah, yeah. And no one would ever. Well, no, I'm not wrong. And there will be people who get their new Toyota Corolla and they're quite delighted, but it's not a Maserati or anything. No. Um, but I think they've sold 50 million cars. Right, yeah. <laughs> of one yeah. Yeah, no, true. Um, there's volume in being in 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 the middle in the masses, all right. And you, and you talked about loyalty brands a second ago uh, or a few minutes ago. Um, so you know, for luxury items, I get it when it's like water or toothpaste or whatever, or whatever, where they're kind of low volume purchases. But for luxury brands, um, 
where they could be expensive ticket items. Does the idea of brand loyalty then make more sense in those categories? It shows exactly the same patterns. Brand loyalty is very loyalty. Loyal behavior is absolutely probably the most fundamental thing about consumer behavior. Consumers don't buy all the brands. Mm. I mean, even someone who's a serious luxury brand buyer, I mean, do you know how many luxury brands there are? Mm. It's staggering, right? And and yet they keep going back. And there's a few that are whopping huge, you know? And, yeah. uh, you know, someone who really knows like the luxury brand market will probably go something like Chanel and says it's like a Toyota Corolla. And they're like, well, I don't know why that one's a big one. Yeah. It's hardly that exciting, whatever. You know, there's a lot more exciting luxury brands. But, um, no, they show the, the same patterns. Um, yeah. People, people love being love being loyal because <laughs> they've got busy lives and they want to get on with them. Uh, but they really brands really matter a lot to be, and, and we don't need it. That's a great news for marketers. That is great liberating news. You do not need to get your customers to yeah. have a religious mm. zeal for you news because you know like if you actually you know if you sobered up and looked at it and went, well we've only got you know fleeting seconds of attention with some advertising mm-hmm. how are we going to do that you know, we're not allowed to inject them with chemicals or put them through hypnosis or so you know really how are we going to do it yeah yeah and news is you don't do great excellent yeah i suppose yeah it is liberating when you think you don't have to do it because i mean it's not so much talked about anymore but there was you know pillars of comms we're trying to Build advocacy and loyalty and stuff like that. It's not. It's not. Re, we don't see it that much anymore. I think there's been, and it's probably due to um, of the work you've done. Um, I want to ask you about double jeopardy. That the laws of double jeopardy. So, like, I get asked this quite a lot um, from mm. from clients. They're talking about retention, retention and acquisition. So we got to acquire, and and in some cases they're separate budgets. In some cases they're separate. They're separate teams within within um, clients. But sometimes it's it's um, they've got ring fence marketing budgets. What's your view on, uh, well, and it's loyalty in those sense, trying to keep people loyal to you, call it retention, call it whatever you want, but like allocating a certain amount of ring fence budget specifically to spend against current customers who you have in a bid to make sure they don't leave in whatever marketing guys is. Do you you think that's madness to have a separate strand of retention in marketing for utility companies, for example? It's hard to actually think of any marketing activity that that would actually really be separate uh, because everything you do tends to reach existing customers as well. Um, no, a, sale, a salesperson going and knocking on the door of a company that you currently do not sell to, mm-hmm. that is clearly purely acquisition. But in most other categories, it's hard to think of stuff that's purely acquisition. Um, so the idea that you would it, – yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit – muddled thinking what you need to do is think about mental and physical availability mm-hmm. you need to think about there's some like so if you're a utility there are most most of the time no one thinks about us at all mm-hmm. that's a challenge because when they do come to think about us when they do enter the category they do not do a lot of searching right? especially if they're able to use their memory and think of one or two so the great challenge is to get into their heads and be that one or two. And then the other work we do is about catching people when they fall. So maybe people look at two brands, which they do for a lot of – two brands is very common for things like automobiles, insurance. Like a whole lot of people only look at one. A few people look at three, four, whatever, but the average being about two. Mm-hmm. That means we'll probably get about 50% of those. And 
we do work to try to get a bit more than 50%, right? So the two things we do in marketing, one is to get mental availability, get in people's heads who aren't even there. And the other thing is to catch our fair share of people who are who are falling. And in that we have, we're on shelf, we do Google, so, you know, we paid search. Um, those are the two things we do. Now, and this gets wrong, that last, that second one, the catching people when they fall, gets given weird titles like activation. Right, yeah. <laughs> You're not activating anyone, okay? <laughs> You're not activating anyone. Someone goes, I'm going to buy a lawnmower. Now, let me see what brands of lawnmower. You have not activated them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if no one's in the market for a lawnmower, there's just no nothing you can do. <laughs> so you're catching people when they're falling. And you want to, yeah, obviously, if someone does actually turn up at your car dealership, you want the experience to be lovely and for you to have a really good chance of, of getting them. But the biggest driver of your sales performance is not that stuff. It's it's actually that people do turn up at your car dealership. Mm. Typical yeah. typical Western country, you know, sorry, take out the brands like Maserati and things. You've got about 15 or so brands competing. And uh, people are going to look at one or two. Mm. So, you know, the great, there's a huge challenge to grab the people who do look at you. Yeah. But the really long-term battle is to get into their heads so that you're one of those, uh, one or two. Mm. I look at things like variables and uh, so few brands have managed to, you know, so few brands manage to get attention of non when people aren't in the category. Yeah. And, you know, I hate to use Apple as an example, but Apple is a stellar company because people who aren't actually in the market yet, right, they, so they just bought a phone. Mm. They want to buy another phone for three years. If they still hear there's a new iPhone out, they pay attention because Apple's yeah. got this reputation bringing out things that are worth paying attention to. That is very impressive and, and is one of the reasons why that becomes so big. Yeah, and it's um, it's few and far between as well. Anyone that has that kind of cachet with people mentally, yeah. Yeah, and that's why the stores have so much power for durable. So people go, I need a new washing machine. And then what they think of is, where can I get it? Yeah. Right? The store, and then they go into the store, and then they look at a few brands. So... Uh, yeah, although I suppose online is going to help them. Online is going to help durables, but which means they've got to build brands. They've got to get into people's heads. Mm. You can only achieve so much with uh, catching people when they fall, given that you don't get to mm. – you're not in any people's uh, considerations there. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and th when you think – because, like, again, something else which which seemed to capture the imagination, the marketing people's imagination, like when you t the work done around category entry points. Um, can you can you talk to me briefly about um, showing up at category entry points or category entry points generally for people who don't know about it? And how is this kind of different to say a, a typical user journey or or the, the the horrible funnel that that we we seem to think people go through quite linearly? Yes, uh, it's about understanding that. It's a very memory-based model. I think it's amazing that we do actually have some ideas of consumer behavior and funnel that aren't really hugely memory-based because consumers very much use their memory. Uh, I think Jenny Romanek's got this great term. So, you know, the, the the biggest search engine in the world is between people's ears or something. You know, it's a, oh, yeah. if people can think of a few brands, then then they 
they don't that will dominate in their in their search thing. Uh, so category entry points is trying to think of, of linking to the things that maybe stimulate people to think about the category. I think in our first article, Jenny and I, when we talked about mental availability, talked about the bizarre thing that when you're at the beach, you're more likely to think of ice creams. No, you could you could, you could say you know like why? Well, I mean, it's a it's a cultural thing, isn't it? It's uh, it's that I don't know. When we were kids, we went to the beach. We were on holiday. Our parents bought us ice creams. I, I guess we going to the beach. It's hotter, although not in your part of the world. No, terribly. not really. No. <laughs> but, but you know, there are hot days when you're in shopping malls and things too, and you could think of ice cream. But you're much more likely to do so when you're at the beach. And so, bizarrely, beach is a sort of category entry point for for ice cream. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I tell you a funny story? I was with the uh, chief growth officer of Coca-Cola uh, a few years back, and uh, I said to him, you have a category entry point challenge in that you sell drinks, right? You sell, you sell caffeinated drinks, actually. Mm. And yet a huge category, huge drinking time has opened up all throughout the Western world is in coffee shops. And people don't even think of Coke in a coffee shop. Mm. There's no reason why not, right? You're going in there for drink. Yeah. You might be going in there for caffeine. Coke provides both of those things. But you don't. It's not a category entry point for you. I'm in a coffee shop. You know, people will go in a coffee shop and have tea and juice and you know yeah. other things in coffee, but they don't think of you. Never have. Uh, I did love it. He, he kept a completely straight face and just sort of nodded and things. And then two weeks later, they announced they bought Costa Coffee, right. which had been in negotiation for a long time. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so it's, it's understanding. So it's not. So category entry points are different from, you know, some category entry points are things like. I need a mop for my floor. <laughs> mm. It's just basically a category queue, which we measure when our old measures of brand awareness measured that. But other things are bizarro things like, yeah, beach triggers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tiredness might trigger, I need a caffeinated drink. Um, I, I just feel a bit down and I need to be treated. Right? Mm. And so it's about, Category entry points are about understanding how your category fits in brains, the cues, and also understanding how things uh, fit into people's lives. There's, again, the debate that never seems to go away is, and you touched on it there, um, long-term versus short-term, brand versus performance, call it whatever you want. Where do you stand, where, where do you stand on this position in terms of, um, you know, let's say, again, a 60-40 split is the kind of rule of thumb that that applied in, in the majority of cases to a, a good few categories. Where do you stand on that? 60-40 was never in Lesbonet or Peter Field's data. No. They even, they even said it in their first report. There is no set. It's thing. funny how that has, think- be, that has become the... Um, I don't know the cliff notes, the 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 takeaway from it. It's it's what it's what it, it's like. It's where it was their only recommendation. What does it mean when people say sixty oh, percent? They go sixty oh, percent is on advertising and forty percent is on on what? Well, you know, some other what like activation. Does that include like price promotions and store and things? Well, well see, uh, yeah, yeah. I, and that's the thing. That would be- Oh come on! There's no there's no packaged goods company in the world that only spends forty percent of it. You know, that spends more money on advertising than they spend on their sales force and supporting Walmart things. You know, that, no, and there is no set number, and it never was in their data. And even though that, and their data is weird data because it's award submissions. Um, but the, but what I point is that the thinking is muddled. What we have is we have stuff that we do that is about building mental availability. And that is reaching a lot of people 
who, you know, aren't in the category. They're not about to buy tomorrow, not about to buy next month, may not be about to buy till 10 years. And then there's catching people who are, they're walking up to the shelf or up to the screen. Right? And that's the other stuff we do. And we need to do both of those. We need to build both of those. And we need to do them continuously, right? You do not do activation and then stop. That'll be like opening a store and it's like, oh, well, right, we're we're in Tesco this week and then now nah, we can take a break for three weeks. What? Yeah. People are buying every day. Of course you're in Tesco every day and you want your shelf display to look as lovely as possible every day. That's what your salespeople do. So you do mental value. You're catching people while they fall. It'd be like a utility or insurance company or something saying, oh, yeah, we've done our Google search campaign for the for the, for the the week. Yeah. And now we'll take a rest for a month. Yeah. Like, no. never, what? Well, we've done our activation. We activate. It's not activation. It's catching. Mm. And you, you caught some people who were going to buy it that week. And then you, you need to be there all the time. So, I yeah, I see lots of muddled thinking, quite dangerous thinking. Yeah, and I mean, it even it even gets in the context and some of the conversation we have. You get, we we sometimes hear people just applying sixty forty to their actual media spend. So, and what they mean, brand building, advertising, and then um, performance advertising. So anything that has an offer in it versus anything that doesn't, and it's quite as blunt as that in terms of like you know, and it, and it was never intended to be just on media spend. It was like if anything, it was all your your marketing um, and promotional budgets, but it's just applied to media, even not even the creative built in, but just media. So telly uh, that doesn't have an offer in it is brand and anything that has a um, offer or price in it is is seen as acquisition. And it's as blunt as that sometimes. And and, and we're told, it's, well, it's you know, very, it's 60, 40 is what we think. lazy thing. Yeah. Mm. And it also leads to very bad brand advertising because suddenly that's given a free ticket, right? That's, Oh, it's it's long term. We can just do anything. You know, you can't measure it. Can't mm. and so I'm often asked by banks. It's a, it's a question along these lines: <clears throat> How much should we spend on brand advertising, and how much should we spend on product advertising? And my answer is always the same: uh, You should do no brand advertising because if people do not care. People don't buy banks; they buy your credit cards and your mortgages and you're saying so everything should be a product ad but the same every product ad should have must be a brand ad you're not advertising just the concept yeah. of a mortgage you're you're selling i don't know bank of ireland yeah mortgage so yeah every, every all advertising is product advertising and all advertising is brand advertising mm. if you're if you're doing it right so yeah i, I think that is terribly i think 60 40 is a that's a terrible thing. It leads to really lazy, terrible thinking. Yeah, uh, no. it's almost as bad as it's almost as bad as excess share of voice, which is right. The, the, you don't buy into excess share of voice, no. Well, because we've done most of the research on excess. It started with John Philip Jones, who yeah. is a very good friend of the Institute. We've done most of the research on it, and we can tell you there is no magic. Do excess share of voice, and your brand will grow. <laughs> I, I really. No one really believes that, do they? It's just wishful thinking, right? Some, I think uh, a lot of people but, do, but, yeah. And it's, but it's also, can you imagine that? Is, that's got to be the dumbest, the dumbest marketing strategy ever done, right? We're just going to outspend all our competitors. Mm. Like that's that's like saying we're going to win by halving the price. You know, it's 
Can you imagine taking that to the CFO? Oh, the, the new the marketing science says we should just spend more than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure, he or she would say, well, what happens if they start spending more? You go, oh, well, then we'd have to spend even more and more. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. really, you'd get nuts, right? Yeah, and it's it's impossible to even predict and share for it. It's impossible. It's impossible to do with any with any degree of I wouldn't even say certainty. Um, you know, it's, you're, it's completely outside your control. So, um, oh, you 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 mentioned well, there about well, TV. The, the relationship that there is there is a law like relationship, and uh, it it tells us it's very useful for budget setting. Mm-hmm. It tells us that big brands can share a little bit, can spend a little bit under. Yeah, uh, small brands. Have to spend a bit over. That's very useful that to know. Sense, yeah. uh, it tells us what point we've gone too far. You know, spending is too high. There's decades of research showing that on uplifting weight, like if you double your weight on TV suddenly, what happens? And the answer is oh, pretty much nothing. I'll tell you so, that. <laughs> so, like for marketing things. You don't want to spend less than you have to, uh, but you don't want to spend terribly more either. And knowing that is very useful. Mm. And then clever bit is going, right, so that's a budget. How can we spend this as clever <laughs> as a clever way as possible? Mm. That's what I hate about it. So, boys, it's so dumb. It's just, what's your strategy? We're going to spend more than our competitors. Mm. Yeah. Oh, your agent is going to love you. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 completely blind of creative. Um, you you mentioned yes. you mentioned a little while ago about catching people when they fall. So, you know, Google have done a great job in you know marking themselves. They, they can get any client in to see them. They they have this cachet and fair play to them. They've done a great job. Whereas like poor old people like RTE, the national broadcaster here, they struggle sometimes to get an audience with CMOs. Google will have them all in next week into the foundry if they want to have them in. They've done a good job. But when you think about catching people when they fall, I mean, you go to a meeting with Google and they'll always tell you, oh, you're not spending enough with Google. Obviously, that's what they're going to say to you. Um, but actually, when you think about about the, the bottom the bottom of the, the, the funnel, if you will, where, you know, as you said, you haven't triggered anybody. People have decided they're going to search for something already. So when you're there to mop that up, well, you're not going to grow. There's no um, incrementality in that you can't grow. And and then we falsely attribute too much of that sale to Google last click. Um, I, I mean, it sounds it sounds obvious now that I say it again, but you'd be surprised. Like, is 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 there this perform this performance paradox, if you will, really harmful? Are we taking the easy way out as marketing by not by not um, you know being able to to just think that other people will create the demand and we'll just harvest that demand? What like is there too much money going into Google? Do you think at the moment? Exactly what packaged goods companies used to do of, of thinking, well, we'll stick all our budget into in-store and we'll just do lots of mm. promo. And that will somehow, you know, drive yeah. the growth of the brand. We know it doesn't. And, and for a small brand, it, no, it just does not get you anywhere. Right? Um, so, yeah, we need some if, – if, if, if people are searching, which is not, you know, only doesn't actually happen for, you know, it's only certain categories where search is used a lot. If they are, then definitely you want to be there with search. Um, there's pretty good evidence that, uh, like, if you're a big brand, though, buying your your name is just giving money to Google. Mm-hmm. You know, because people, if if people are looking for you, they find you. Google Google search engine is very good. Mm-hmm. So if they actually look at Tesco, they will find Tesco. Yeah. And, and so if you're Tesco and you pay for that term, um, mm. well, um, Google will be very pleased. That's very nice. But that is a waste of money. Uh, so it's like, um, you know, it needs to be managed in the same way that we used to manage shelf space. 
uh, sales teams would always, always, right, for any consumer goods company, love to get an extra facing, right? Mm-hmm. Love to get an extra facing. Yeah. But the reality is extra facing does pretty much stuff all, right? Particularly if you're a big brand. Yeah. Because right? I mean, if, you, if you've got enough facing so people can see you, and you're not stocked out, getting an extra facing. One more is do. not going not gonna to do anything for you. Getting getting into another store, oh wow, yeah, that that yeah. yeah, that does. Maybe getting into another place in the store, yeah, that'll do something. But okay. an extra facing, I don't know. So if you bought that extra facing, that would be a bad investment. And I'm sure you can do that with Google Search too. You mm-hmm. can spend too much. Mm-hmm. But you, but in a lot of categories, if you're a travel agent or something, you definitely need some. That is that is your yeah yeah space. yeah yeah. But you also need advertising because an awful lot of people. Type in, you know, like the name. Of the, you know, they're looking for the travel agent. We used to look in the yellow pages. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have that. We we just Google it. Mm. Uh, you got to be there. Absolutely. And, but but the ideal is to get into people's heads. Was it Rory Sutherland or something? Or someone? Did the, you know, the the example of someone when they you know they bought an Aston Martin and things, and they're like, "What made you buy this?" And they're like, uh, "An advertisement." Oh, really? Advertisement? Yeah, an advertisement I saw when I was eight years old. Oh right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, no, it's so 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 true. Um not, not many eight year olds buy Aston Martin, but no, they grow up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and maybe the James Bond and all that kind of stuff sticks with you. It's a it's a great brand, I guess. Um now you you mentioned distinctiveness a second ago. Like a couple of years ago, Oh, like as an industry, we were obsessed with USPs and that kind of stuff. They don't really exist that much anymore, but a differentiated benefit and this idea that brands had to be truly different, right? And and that's pretty hard to do because, you know, everything can be copied now or replicated. You can create a a difference in people's minds quite easy, but that function or an actual real difference in taste or something, or, or... product utility it's not it's it's pretty hard to do so well, your point is we should focus more on distinctiveness not differentiating so yeah, can you just no no no, di- no, no, no. My, my point is uh, if you're the marketing department you have virtually no control over differentiation right right I mean yeah. it you know drop the arrogance you do not right differentiation is big stuff like the first bank to launch ATMs or yeah. Uh, you know, an internet service provider that's double the speed or, you know, and that does not come from marketing. No. Uh, And that's great when it's there and you should shout it to the world. But it will come and it will go. um, But your job is building brands over hopefully 100, 200 years. And that is about branding, which is looking like you and building mental and physical availability. This idea that marketing somehow, you know, mm. banks would, right, they would. They would come to advertising agencies, wouldn't they? And they'd say, you know, you need to differentiate us. It's mm. like, come on, really? Is your interest rate going to – no, you're going to have – do you have credit cards? Oh, right, like the others, yeah. And you, what is it going to be? Oh, well, we're going to be more friendly. Really, yeah, are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're going to – really, are you? Are you going to – well, I hope so. We've got these consultants in. They're going to train our staff. We're going to be more friendly. Mm, good luck with that. You think any other banks aren't trying to be friendly too? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we need to. I mean, I think we get too wrapped up in our categories, uh, you know, and we forget that other people just say, you're a soap. You're, a, you know, you're a detergent. Yeah. You're chocolate. Ex- yeah. Uh, but some of the 
bands of the world are extremely distinctive. You know, M&Ms at Mars, wow. Mm. Wow, sometimes some person in an agency said, let's create these characters, wow, you know, multi-billion dollar brand. Do you know the story that M&Ms are actually a direct copy of Smarties? They, um, one of the Mars brothers saw uh, these being sold. I don't know what they were called back in then, but during the Spanish Civil War, right. and he, in a in a cardboard tube, and he came, you know the old cardboard yeah, yeah. tube, and yeah, came back to America, worked out how to make it, even got a patent. <laughs> that was a direct copy, uh, and, and M and M's, which which were you know <clears throat> presumably not you know, but then at some point someone made the M and M's characters, and and that was the, that led that to become a, a billion-dollar brand. Um, eventually, yeah. Nestle Smarties, and they're still around, but... They're no, yeah, they're around. They're hard, my, my young lad likes them, but, like, they're hard to find. You can't get them everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, um, they are the, they're the original. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're I'm, deal. And, oh, well. like, I think, that, I think that's a great point. That So, I mean, differentiated and distinctive is 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 the best combination you can have because like, like, you know, not, Amazon not, is well, differentiated. Not necessarily because and this is, again, people need to engage their brains. Differentiation. Yeah. Like Maserati is really dis- differentiated, right? Because it is really fast, ridiculously fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for city streets, right? Ridiculously uh, and ridiculously expensive, but incredibly differentiated. And that means it can, it can never be a big brand. Yeah. Because not many people have three quarters of a million dollars to buy a car. Right? Differentiation cuts both ways. If yeah, you go, true. this brand is differentiated, it, it's, it re, it's, it's going to really appeal to teenage females. Great. But that means you're never going to be big. Yeah. Right? So uh, this as long as you're happy with that, if that's if that if, if as long as you're happy yeah. with that, then that's that's fine. But you you're right. There's only so much headroom in that if you if you define the parameters of of your, or even define it by by the price you set on it, you exclude certain people, and that's 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 just that. I get. I guess that's a you make that decision. Yeah. Well, let let's be honest. This will not be usually made by the marketing department. No, true. I do. I do think. Um, yeah. And there's so many things now. Even you know, even UX is outside marketing in a lot of cases. Which is, you know, marketing is is not in, in is not in as much control as we'd like to think, or or, or should be in some cases. I think in, in clients, UX sitting outside um, a marketing yeah. function is 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 kind of not not a great idea. Um, I'm not going to keep you too much on. A couple more questions. Um, Brand purpose, right? It's a hot topic. Lots. There's lot. Uh, now, don't don't kill me. This is not my data. So, I, I, but there's a bit of data I've seen. There's lots of data correlating purpose with profits. Companies who are purposeful with profits. I've I, I've seen some things, um, articles, and some contributors think uh, brand purpose is nonsense. I had Alan Jope on a couple of episodes ago, and he's big on purpose, right? He'd go, he's saying brands that don't have a purpose in, within Unilever will be will be done away with over a while. Um, and, I, I, you know, I think I can see both sides. If a company has a genuine purpose, genuinely it's not a marketing department thing. If the company really has a purpose, then I think it works. But if it's marketing-led, it's it's kind of tail-wagging the dog. What's your view on purpose and 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 even broadly brands weighing in on political issues? Do you think it's a good thing or do you think it's kind of, well, a waste of money and shameless promotional tailgating on culture, if you will? What do you, what do you think? Well, I'm a scientist, so what I think doesn't really matter, okay? It's about what evidence there is. And uh, 
It is embarrassing, I think, for our discipline, and it's embarrassing for some senior CEOs, that they have very little evidence. They are going on beliefs and uh, and really some astonishingly sloppy thinking. Uh, so, I mean, was it, I loved it. There was an investor recently who called out. Who did they call? Actually, I think they called out. Yeah, it was. They? Yeah, it was Unilever. Oh, the joke, yeah. Like, you, you've done a whole big sweat shop, workshop, consults, and they try to work out what the purpose is. It's like a 150-year-old brand. I think people know what the purpose of it is. It's to, it's to, yeah, it's to what it tastes like, right? Uh, and I, I, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this, this is we're drinking our own Kool-Aid, becoming religious. Um, but look, there, there are empirical claims, like if a brand does something more purpose. So let's define purpose. Purpose is when a brand does something for the world that is beyond, obviously beyond the functional benefits that it gives, right? So buy this brand of water and we'll also don't build some wells in Africa or something, mm -hmm. right? Or buy this brand of insurance and we'll support this sports team is also exactly yeah. falls into that. And now we can ask empirical questions like, do people care about that? Does Do they pay more? Does it make them repeat purchase more? Uh, and so we've got a project in the Institute looking at these empirical claims and looking at the evidence for them. Um, so yeah, I'll speak mindly for someone like Alan, that is embarrassing actually as a CEO of a big corporation to just make statements like that when actually he hasn't really got any evidence. Uh, I have seen some evidence where Unilever showed that its its purpose brands were growing faster, but everyone forgot they sold off or dropped their brands that they deemed were not. Uh, they, 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 the brand, sorry, the brands that were not growing faster than things, they shared, right? right? They yeah. did a cut. And then the ones that were left, they said, oh, these should have a purpose. Well, that's round the other way, right? Mm. But, so you have evidence on this. Um, and of course, there are risks. Yes, if you speak out on political things, um, you know, like even if you, you know, we think we are on safe ground by saying something like Donald Trump's an idiot in the US, yeah. and you know, you stop and you really, he he got he got more votes that mm. you know, even when he lost the election, got more votes than any sitting president he ever got before. So that is politically, that is for a brand that is dangerous. It's dangerous, yeah. And we need to think about this because we have employees and shareholders who depend on us. There's also the ethics. You're not allowed to go take your company money and spend it on your favorite charity. Mm. That is completely unethical. Even if it is a good for the world charity, it is that is not your money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. It's a yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting how so, it's an interesting so area. These things should be questioned. Um, that, that's why the Urban Bass Institute, you know, exists by saying we need evidence, people. Mm. Uh, I'm amazed when I look through LinkedIn posts and things, the amount of very well-paid executives who use the terms I believe all the time. Mm. I believe, it's like, we're not Southern preachers, Baptist preachers, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well-paid executives. We should know. Imagine if engineers did this. Well, I believe... I'm a great believer in rope. I reckon we could build the bridge out of rope. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because as I was chatting to Bob Hoffman, and he says we're we're an industry without principles, so we we fail to um, you know learn enough from what's gone before, and it's 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 not documented in the same way that other industries are. You know, kind of an accepted 
curriculum, if you will, or an, accept, an accepted kind of, you know, and even in economics where you can, you can have wildly different views in, in economics, you know, two different completely polarized views, but it, it, it's, a, it's an industry based on principles and, and advertising is not. So economics has been very strong on theory rather than doing actual serious empirical uh, work or, or what I would call old fashioned science rather than big, yeah. ridiculous uh, modeling, uh, which has been a, a problem. But, you know, how brands grow introduced a dozen scientific laws, mm -hmm. repeatable patterns, generalized. Uh, so that was a, you know, that's a, you know, it's a big step forward for our discipline. I, but we, we shouldn't beat ourselves up too much. Uh, you know, the medicos, the term evidence-based medicine is a medical, you know, mm. evidence-based market stolen that from the medicos. But that term arrived in medicine in 1988. Right. That's not that long ago. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Remember, until about 50 years ago, uh, most doctors hurt people. They did no good. Mm. Zero. No, no good. Yeah. True. So we shouldn't mess up too much. We're a bit late to the, a little bit late to the party, but we'll get there. Hopefully, we hopefully we get better. Um, we're we're in Ireland anyway, probably in lots more places. We're we're staring down the barrel of a recession. Um, now, obviously, not obviously, but what tends to happen quite a lot is marketing plans go out the window. People change lots of different things. They they reduce their advertising budget. Fine. Um, they might change the mix. They pour more money into tactical as as we we as we talked about earlier on or things that are promotional and and don't and divest in brand um what what's your view on recessions do do uh, cuz I, I know what you're going to say but you 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 have um research that shows say, that, well what i think i cuz i think yeah cuz i think you said people don't change as much as we like to think they change the behaviors don't change as much as they like yeah. to think and this anxiety that we have as market as we enter a period of financial instability and we think everything goes out the window and yet when you look at data I think you found that we don't actually change our buying behaviours all that much so what are we worried about? What's the big deal with a recession if you're marketing? Well your sales and profits are probably going to be down a bit because overall demand is down a bit if you're selling um you know, big ticket items, it's more scary because people can delay them. Uh, yeah, we, we do know this. The Institute does have a report on recessions that we released uh, in the last recession. I guess we should release it, make it public again. I would probably summarize it as um, keep calm and carry on. Right. Uh, that doesn't mean, and it is completely, the, the people who say you should spend more during a recession and things, mm -hmm. this is very dubious data. Uh, it, of course, it's, it's loved by all agencies and everything. Uh, you, you probably can spend a bit less on things like advertising if your competitors are because you yeah. can still maintain your voice. Uh, hopefully media costs a little bit less. Hey, that's cool. Um, but otherwise, pretty much keep to the same strategy. And it would be crazy to take, like, at any time, take a big chunk of the advertising budget, which is which is aimed at reaching the millions of light users we have, and plonking that all into in-store, Google search, whatever, because mm -hmm. we won't get a return. Mm -hmm. Because that would be dumb at any time. Why Why is it suddenly going to magically work during a recession? Yeah. It, it, no. Yeah, yeah. No. So largely do all the sensible things you're doing before. Um, yeah. But you just got to be honest. In some categories, demand will be down quite substantially because that's what a recession means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but for things people will not eat less. No, they might go to fine restaurants a little less often. Yes, but they won't eat less. 
Mm. No, yep. you, you should you should resurface that um, your your the, the report from the recession last time your research on that and just because it'll be it'll be popular again now. Um, do you think marketing has gotten worse in the last twenty years? Like advertising, I know it's harder to reach people through kind of traditional, like everybody at the same time, like the television model, because you know we tend to be consuming things at different times, so it is harder to kind of build significant mass audience reach now at the moment. So is advertising just, is it, do you think it's 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 gotten worse? It's just not culturally as relevant. There was famous campaigns, talked to John Hegarty a while ago, about, about campaigns that were, you know, just really impacted culture, got people talking, created, um, you know, mental availability, created fame for, for companies. That, and they were liked, and they were well talked about, and they just, you know, they got on people's radar. There's not so many of them anymore. Do you think that, is this a, a, a sophisticated, smart consumer who's able to, you know, we're very sophisticated, we, we don't buy advertising anymore because we're, we're so, you know, we know what nasty advertising is trying to do, or is it just the fact that, you know, Orlando, Woodsworth says that it because it doesn't connect as much anymore with right brain, hem, right hemisphere brain cues. It's just the advertising is worse. What what's your view on it? Is it is it getting worse? And are you worried about the advertising as a profession as as, a, as an industry? Well, on a on a positive note, you know the scientific revolution started for marketing, so that's good. You know. Books like How Brands Grow, like, you know, any marketer could spend 30 bucks and buy, you know, a book like How Brands Grow. You couldn't do that when I started in the industry. Wow, you know, you had all textbooks like Kotler or you had mm. interesting, fun textbooks like Reason Trout, but, you know, they were <laughs> weren't really, they were just entertaining. So that's a positive thing. But, yeah, it has got harder for marketers because they – they used to have a few well, – TV, right? TV used to be mm -hmm. a very big – but then lots of the other things. I mean, outdoor hasn't changed. Mm. I mean, it's better. We've got digital boards and things. So it hasn't changed at, at all. Uh, print has. Yeah, print has sort of changed. Directory advertising is gone, but we replaced yeah. by search. Um, so I would say maybe the world's got a bit complicated, a bit more complicated, and marketers were never very well trained, right? Yeah. So even if they're not putting – bucket loads of money into TV, and you knew nothing about it virtually. Uh, Absolutely nothing about it. If I said to a marketer, so, you know, how many people on a big rating TV program, right, you've got a 10 million audience there, next week you'll have an audience of about how much? I mean, even some people didn't even know the answer to that, and the answer is about 10 million. Ratings are very stable. Yeah. And you go, well, how many of the people who were there last week will be here this week? What's the repeat rate? Yeah. We play the ad. Uh, people didn't know that. Yeah, we did know that. Right? So mm. people were spending huge amounts of money and didn't really know about it. And then now when it gets more complicated, so I look, marketers just need to get better educated because we can still do all the same things we were doing before. Uh, we don't need to go, I can't invest in creativity anymore. I'll, I'll just give all my money to, I'll give all my money to the sales activation team. Yeah. I'll do it all in store online and basically let's close down the, let's close down the advertising department. Mm -hmm. We do not need that. No. No, um, right. La last, just what are you working with Irish clients? Well, I know you're working with a couple of Irish clients. Um, so, who who are you working with? Or, or yes, we, so? your, like, no, no, we have your tourism board, but yeah. I can't pronounce their name. Falcha Ireland, Falcha Ireland. Yes, yeah. that's that's yeah. No, they're they're and do you, do you have are you talking to many Irish clients at all, or is it like you know, is it do you tend to? Are you interested in working with Irish clients? And, and and second question: Have you a new book coming anytime soon, or what are you working on? 
there are there's more output. Jenny at the moment, Jenny Romanek is writing a book on uh, brand tracking. Like she hopes to. She, her aim is to improve practice so that people like us, marketing scientists, get get better data. Mm-hmm. Most brand tracking data is well, a classic problem with brand tracking data, right? Is that they start with a screening question like, you know, have you bought coffee in the last week? And mm-hmm. if you don't fall into that, they exclude you, yeah. which is excluding all the non potential growth, the penetration as as fundamentals. Yeah, yeah, um, terrible. So. Uh, but I guess you know from like dealing with clients and things, brand tracking data is just used for vague entertainment, right? Most people could you, you could print the same report every quarter and hardly anyone would notice. But. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, you're right, but it is. It was well, it's actually gotten dark. I see you've practically gone into total darkness now during the, the course <laughs> of our, our during the course of our phone call. So I was thinking, like well, I haven't, I haven't it hasn't been that long. We haven't been talking that long, have we? No, it's it's but um. Well, but listen, uh, Professor Sharp, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Um, it's been great. And, you know, I could, I mean, I, I don't know if there's anybody who hasn't read your books at this stage, but if you haven't and you work in marketing, you you definitely, definitely, definitely should read them because, and I, I think like, I, I was chatting to Bob Hoffman about this. There's a lot of good work at the moment. There is a lot of good marketing work being done. Karen Nelson Field. Uh, Orlando Wood, your own work, your seminal work. There, there's a lot of good stuff at the moment and maybe it's just the case that enough people in marketing aren't reading it, uh, you know, just haven't put the effort in because it's not, as I say, as as Bob, as Bob says, we're without principles so the foundations are not are not solid. So if you haven't, if you haven't listened, to, if you haven't bought um, Professor Barnard Sharp's book, you definitely have to. It's still as relevant today as it ever was. So um, Professor Sharp, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I was going to say good night, but good morning. Day. We have a full day of work ahead of us now, so uh, no, this, Still that was summer great. for you. Yes, it is indeed. Um, so, and thanks for listening. If you like this episode, why not listen back to some of our other episodes? You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks. Bye. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. 